You're listening to a message from Highway Church entitled Revealing the Father, Part 3. Enjoy. But before we get into that, we're going to talk about something today that's going to enable us to experience and be led by this Spirit. We're going to talk about thinking differently. Okay? Changing the way we think. You're not afraid to think differently, are you? I guess it depends on what the thoughts are, right? Do you know that you can actually think for yourself? Yeah. Isn't that amazing? You can. You can think for yourself. Do you know that many people throughout history have been led astray because they were taught in the churches they went to that they couldn't think for themselves? I grew up in a church where they said, you can't read the Bible. You won't understand it. You have to come to the experts, and we'll tell you what the Bible says. Is that true? Look what 1 John chapter 2 says. We want to learn to think for ourselves, but we want to learn to think like God thinks, to think God's thoughts after him. Look at 1 John 2.26. Now, John was writing to uh, believers here in chapter 2, and there are people trying to deceive the believers. And look what he says in verse 26. He says, these things I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. Because there is deception in the world, right? We, we, we have to be aware of that. 27, verse 27. But the anointing which you have received from Jesus... Through faith in Christ, when you put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit took up residence in you. Isn't that amazing? You have the Holy Spirit in you. There is no better teacher, and he's living inside of you. And you do not need that anyone teach you. You can know the truth yourself. Isn't that wonderful? But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it is taught you, you will abide in him. So the Holy Spirit teaches us to live, abide in Christ. Verse 28. And now, little children, abide in Jesus. Live in him. Remain in him. Deceptive teaching will lead you away from Jesus. Holy Spirit teaching will lead you closer to Jesus. That's how you tell. Okay, and now, uh, excuse me, when he appears, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Let's take a look at uh, the message translation. I don't know why. Did that just get dimmer, the words? Why is that? Do we know? Is there a brightness on the uh, projector or something like that? Anyway, let's keep going. Here's the message translation. It says, I've written to warn you about those who are trying to deceive you. Verse 27, this is good. But they're no match for what is embedded deeply within you. Wow. Isn't that good? They're no match for what is embedded deeply within you. Christ's anointing, no less. You have Christ living inside of you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And deception is no match for the one who lives in you. Greater is Christ in you than anything in this world, right? You won't need any, you don't need any of their so-called teaching. <laughs> Ooh, this is pretty good, isn't it? 
Christ's anointing teaches you the truth on everything you need to know about yourself and him. Uncontaminated by a single lie. Live deeply in what you are taught. Verse 28. And now, children, stay with Christ. Live deeply in Christ. This is important. At Highway Church, we talk about Jesus constantly. And, and there are some who wonder why. Because Jesus is God. And if anything I believe about God doesn't agree with the person of Jesus, as recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, then I'm believing something about God that's not true. And as you get to know Jesus, you're going to be amazed at how many things you may have thought and believed that actually aren't true. You're going to be amazed at how much God loves you and what he's already done for you. So at Highway Church, we focus on three things. Who Jesus is, what he's already done for us, the finished work of Christ, and who we are now in Christ. Jesus came to change the way we think about God, revealing the Father. And the way we think about ourselves. And it's all good. (laughs) We're growing in Christ together. We're not going to stay the same. We're moving forward. We're going higher. We're knowing Jesus more every day. You're not even going to recognize me next week. You're going to say, who is that, Jesus? Philippians 3.10. This is our focus. Don't forget this. This is the foundation we operate from every day of our lives. Our determined purpose is that we may know him, progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly, and in that same way, come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection, which it exerts over believers. In Ephesians, Paul prayed a prayer that that the believers would come to know and understand the unlimited, surpassing greatness of the resurrection power that's in and for us who believe. The more you get to know Jesus, the more you realize everything you need is already inside of you. We're changing the way we think. Now, I'm going to make a simple statement. I say it a lot, and I'll say it a lot more. God is good. But how good is he? I mean, if we had a good scale of of 1 to 100, where would he fall on that? 78.2, maybe? I don't know. On a good day, maybe... I don't know, 80, well, no. 
He's perfect joy. Perfect love. He's 100. He's 100. All the time, right? All the time. 100% good. Let me read you a definition of good. We're changing the way we think. We're going to get into something here a little bit. I'm so excited about it, but I, I want to prepare this because it, it might shock you how good God is, but this is a good kind of shock. Here's, a, here's some definitions of good. Good means God is good. The word good means to be desired. God is to be desired. It means giving pleasure. God will give pleasure to you. Daily. Is that scriptural? Where we find that scripture? There's a number of places. Something that's coming to my mind is Psalm 16. In, in his presence is fullness of joy, and in his right hand are pleasures. How many? Forevermore. Right? So God is good. He's to be desired. He gives you pleasure daily. Good is enjoyable. God's enjoyable. Are these the things you think of when you think of God? I didn't. I, I, I was told some different things. I was given the impression of a very different kind of God growing up. He's enjoyable. He gives pleasure. He's to, to be desired. He's satisfying. Good. God is satisfying. He's thorough. He's beneficial. He's advantageous. I like that, beneficial. Was it Psalm 68? Help me, Jennifer. 19. Yes. He daily loads us with benefits. Advantageous, Paul said in Philippians 3, I think it's verse 8, that I've, I've given up everything else for the supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. How good is God? Jesus is the definition of God's goodness. Jesus is God-defined. He's HD, 4K, and a whole lot more. So we're going to let Jesus give us a picture of the goodness of God, and then we're going we're to get into a, a word that's been religified to help us think differently. And I want to ask you to stay awake just this once. Because if you'll get a hold of, of what we're going to talk about here this morning, your relationship with, with Christ will improve instantly. Today. Yes. Today. Yes. Things will open up for you today. Correct. But we've got to lay a little groundwork to get there. Can you hang on? Yes. All right. Let's look at what Jesus says here. Let's go to, uh, oh my, I think I skipped it. Matthew chapter 7. Actually, I'm sorry, before we, I'm getting ahead of myself. Before we go to Matthew chapter 7, let's go to Mark chapter 1. Yeah, let's do this one first. I said something a few weeks ago. I said, Jesus is our new normal, right? Jesus is the standard of life that's been given to us, given to us, right? So we look to him to determine who we are and what life is to be like. I heard someone say this in a book that I read, and I thought it was excellent. said, Jesus didn't come as an example for us, but as an example of us. <laughs> yeah. 
You know Jesus didn't come to earth in all his glory. He emptied himself and came as a man. He was demonstrating to us what it's like to live life on planet earth as a human being, knowing how much your father loves you. Mark chapter 1. So here's Jesus. He's just come out of, of the desert, the devil tempting him. He was in the desert for 40 days. Prior to that, and he hasn't started his ministry yet, he was baptized by John. The Holy Spirit descended from heaven upon him. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He comes out of the desert defeating the devil. And he makes a statement. He says, the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That's how the King James says it. Now, you know I carry a can of dereligification de spray, right? So I'm going to spray that right now. For the two words there, the word repent and the word gospel have been religified. All right? And as a result... Uh, many people don't even know what Jesus is saying. <laughs> Repent. I'm going to define them simply now, and in just a little bit, we're going to go deeper into them. Okay? So the word repent, as an English word, it's not in the Greek. The Bible wasn't written in English. The Bible was written long before King James ever walked the earth. It was written in Greek by Hebrew men, by the Holy Spirit. Right. Okay? Right. And the word there is metanoia. It means simply think differently and believe. Again, gospel is an English word. You won't find that in the Greek. I don't know how to say it. Uangelion. I don't know how to say it in Greek. But it means good news or the announcement of good things. So knowing the definition, let's put that up there with a the definition in it. Is that just randomly getting darker and brighter? Yeah. Must be the bulb, huh? Oh, interesting. All right. Here it is with the definition. Look how different this is. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Think differently. And believe the good news. Doesn't that change your reading of it? Are we altering the scriptures? No, we're learning what they really mean. Jesus, here he comes. Ministry beginning, full of the Holy Spirit. The times fulfilled. The kingdom of God is here now. Think differently and believe the good news. Well, if they needed to think differently to believe good news, what were they believing? Bad news. Right? Interesting. Now, let's go to Matthew chapter 7. Verse 7, Jesus came to change the way we think about God. Anytime you see the English word repent or repentance in the New Testament, put think differently in there. Watch how that changes your relationship with God. And you're going to see why in just a little bit here. So here's Jesus, the definition of the goodness of God. And here's uh, one of my favorite passages in the scripture. He makes it so clear and so simple how good God is. He says, ask, and it should be given to you. Seek, you shall find. 
Knock, it shall be opened to you. This is a radically different picture than I was given of God growing up. Radically different. Jesus is saying God's not holding anything back from you. God has opened himself wide to you. I thought when I was a kid in church, it was kind of a cold place. And, but off in the balcony, you couldn't see the person who was singing. It was really high ceilings and a big kind of like a cathedral kind of place. And there was this voice came from the balcony. And then there was this huge, it must have been, I don't know, 20 feet tall, big uh, chamber with a curtain down up in this balcony. And I thought, boy, I guess God must live behind that <laughs> curtain up there. I thought he was far away, you know, past the stained glass windows on this balcony and you could never see him. That's not the God that Jesus revealed. He said, ask, come on, come to me, ask, and it, and it will be given to you. Seek, you'll find. Knock, it will be open. This sounds like Jeremiah 33, 3. Put that up there. We're going to get back to Matthew 7 in just a second. This is what God said through the prophet Jeremiah, call to me, and what am I going to do? Chastise you for your, for your shortcomings and your failures and show you how, how bad you are. Call to me, I'm going to answer you, and I'm going to tell you great and unsearchable things you don't even know. What? But God, I'm such a failure, and I messed up. He's not even thinking about that. He's thinking about how much he loves you and, and you needing to know that and you needing to realize the purpose he has for your life. Yes. Call to me. Put it up in the message translation. I like this. Call to me and I answer. I'll tell you marvelous and wonderful things that you could never figure out on your own. You. <laughs> wow. I, I guess I'll give him a call. <laughs> right? Let's call him. Call me. Hold on. Call me. Call me anytime. Call. Blondie, 80s, anybody know that too? Oh, well. Jeremiah 32. Let's look at another scripture before we get back to Matthew 7. Jeremiah, how good is God? God says, call me. I want to tell you wonderful things you don't know. I want to unveil treasures to you. Unsearchable things that no one knows but me. I want to give them to you. How good is God? Verse 40 of Jeremiah 32. He's prophesying about the covenant that you or I are in right now. I'll make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them. Are you kidding? No. What are we doing? We're repenting, aren't we? We're thinking differently. No tears. No sackcloth and ashes. No fasting. We're just thinking differently. Speaking of fasting, you know, they asked Jesus why his disciples didn't fast. And he told them, and then he said something very important. He said, you can't take old wine and put it in new wineskins. Are you ready for this? In the Old Testament, they had sackcloth and ashes and fasting. In the New Testament, Jesus made us righteous. I hear people talking of Daniel fast and fasting. I'm going to tell you this. If you'll just believe God, you won't ever need to fast again.
People talk of Daniel fast, and they read in Daniel where, you know, uh, well, there's a couple different fasts they talk of. There was a, um, obviously, when they were uh, captive by the Babylonians, and, and the, it was the, actually the uh, Hebrew, uh, was it Sh- Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that, that chose not to eat the king's dainty food? And another, you understand that they didn't have the Holy Spirit in them. Their spirits were not born again. The new covenant hadn't been caught. So what many Christians are doing are taking that old wine, the old ways of the New Testament, and trying to put it in new wineskins, and they're bursting the wineskins. Fasting isn't where the answer is. Christ revealed God to you. The answer is in believing him. Stop beating yourself up and trying to, to do something in the flesh. Is that okay? It's time for new wine. What is your fast going to accomplish that Jesus hasn't already accomplished? You have to be careful you're not drinking old wine. And I know this is going going against the grain of many churches. I know that. But I want to say it anyway. It's time to drink new wine. There is a time in my Christian life I would fast if I had a wrong thought. I fasted a lot. <laughs> And the Holy Spirit began to open my eyes and said, what are you doing? I thought my son came. I thought the atonement had been made. And I read in the scriptures, and Paul talks about the things that have the appearance of godliness, but no power in them to set you free. Let's keep reading. Hallelujah. You doing okay? It's time to believe God. Your prayers will change. Your perspective of what needs to happen in your life will change when you just believe in what he's already done for you. I'll never stop doing good to them. You're talking about 24-7 goodness. There it is. And I'll inspire them to fear me so that they'll never turn away from me. Don't get hung up on the word fear. What does that mean? Awesome reverence. The type of respect that makes you want to be around them all the time. It's not of uh, being afraid that you're going to be punished or hurt. Verse 41, I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and soul. Wow. Now in the Old Testament, there was a geographical location that God prepared for them. The promised land. In the New Testament, it's a quality of life that God has prepared for us. No matter where you are geographically located. It's the abundant life. John 10.10. One more scripture. Then we'll get back to Matthew 7. Romans 8.32. This is how good God is. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also along with him Excuse me, I'm reading a different translation. How shall he not also, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? How does he give to us? Freely. Do you have, do you have any benevolent relatives? You go over the house and my, my, my grandma, my dad's mom was like, as soon as you go over the house, the refrigerator opened. She's like, pew, 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 pew. 
the stove would fire it up, and she'd just look out. You know, just here, you're here, you're going to eat, and eat, and eat, and I, oh, and I've got money I want to give you, and I just wanted to give to you. As soon as you step foot in the drawer, my dad had to stop my mom and say, Mom, he's fine, just leave, you know. She just wanted to give and give and give. God gives freely to you. Okay, let's go back to Matthew chapter 7, verse 8. And let's look at the Father some more through Jesus. Everyone who asks receives. Wow. And he that seeks finds. And to him that knocks it shall be opened. This is amazing. Now he makes it as plain as plain can be. Verse 9. What man is there of you whom if his son asks bread will give him a stone? Isn't that simple? Of course not. None of us would do that. Or if he asks a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, being evil, verse 11, know how to give good gifts. We know what good is, right? Good are things that are to be desired, that give us pleasure, that are enjoyable, that are satisfying, that are beneficial, that are advantageous. If you know how to give these things to your children, how much more? He's at the top of the good scale. How much more shall your Father which is in heaven give enjoyable, satisfying, beneficial, advantageous things to those who ask him? Now we can all say, okay, I, I, I see that. Then why would any minister ever say to anyone that God is using that sickness to teach you something? Is sickness desirable? No. Is it enjoyable? No. Is it beneficial? No. Is it advantageous? No. It's none of the above. It's never from God. Amen. Come on, can we let Jesus define God for us? Or do we want a pastor to do it? Uh-uh. We, listen, if a pastor disagrees with Jesus, I'm going with Jesus. Our goal is not to be popular. Our goal is to know Jesus. It may separate you from certain circles and groups of people if you start going with Jesus. But man, you're in good company. We okay? I should have warned the, the new folks that are here about my external defibrillator anointing. I kind of say things like, clear, you know. But it'll wake you up. It'll bring you life. Now, Speaking of the goodness of God, so don't ever think things like this, contrary to this again, right? If something's entered your life or trying to enter your life and it's not good, it's not God. Ever. Ever. People have twisted the Bible. They say, well, what about Paul's thorn in the flesh? And I mentioned this maybe a couple of weeks ago. Have you read it? And, and somewhere along the line, a demon introduced the idea to someone and they spread it around that Paul must have had a sickness in his body because he used the term thorn in the flesh. Paul tells us what the thorn in the flesh was. If you'll read it, take your religious goggles off, keep them off. He said it was a messenger of Satan sent to buffet him. And you see that in his ministry. That, that riots would break out when he'd start preaching. That was a spirit, a, a demon sent to, to bring opposition to the gospel. Had nothing to do with a sickness. 
Paul was using a figure of speech that the prophets used in the Old Testament. When God talked about the, his people's enemies, he said, don't, don't join with them. They'll be thorns in your side. They'll be briars in your eyes. It's a figure of speech. How religion confuses people. If it's not good, it's not God. Isn't that simple? This is so simple a child can understand it. Where are my kids at? Kids? Are we children? Yeah, the kingdom of God belongs to you guys. That's awesome. Yeah. The kingdom of God belongs to you. It's so simple a child can understand it. It takes religion, doctrines of demons to mess this thing up. Woo, we were free. Okay, look at James 1.17. Let's just keep going with the goodness of God. It's good. <laughs> every good gift, every enjoyable, desirable, pleasurable, beneficial, advantageous gift, every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness. He's always good. Neither is there shadow of turning. We have the message. Put the message up there. Every desirable and beneficial gift comes out of heaven. Does that include hot fudge Sundays? Yeah. That's a God idea right there. The gifts are rivers of light cascading down. I think about that if I'm having a Sunday. God, you're so good. I do. A cherry on top. Wow, God. Great idea. That's a God idea. The gifts of rivers. Gifts are rivers of light cascading down from the Father. There's nothing deceitful in God. You know what would be deceitful? If he put a sickness on you to teach you something. After all Jesus said and did. What? Wait a minute. Your son came to earth and revealed you and healed and delivered, raised the dead, made people whole. And now you've zapped me with this to teach me something? I'm confused. And you should be, because it's not God. Wow. And I like how the message says, there's nothing two-faced about him. There's nothing fickle. Can I take a shoe-tying break here? Nothing more annoying than stepping on your shoelaces when you're preaching. Okay. Now, Jesus came to change the way we think about God. So that we could know beyond the shadow of doubt, of a doubt, how good he is and how much he loves us. When you realize how good he is, more of your thinking will begin to change. The way you pray will begin to change. The way you think of yourself will begin to change. The way you treat yourself will begin to change. The way you treat others will begin to change. Now, there are those who are critical of messages like the one you're hearing. And they'll say, we're being shallow. What, is that all you're going to talk about? God is good. Will it be? You know how many problems there are in the world? You know, how, you know the issues that are facing mankind today? Do you know the challenges and the, the sin that is running rampant in the world? And you're sitting here talking about the goodness of God. Why don't you, why don't you get into the deep stuff? There is nothing more spiritual, nothing deeper, nothing more necessary, nothing more transforming than the knowledge of the goodness of God. 
It is the answer to every issue in the world is to realize how much he loves you. For no matter what people are facing, no matter what they're going through, no matter how they're living, if they'll simply realize how much he loves them, what he's already accomplished for them through Christ, their situation will turn around. So we're going to talk about the goodness of God. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. We're going to get into the definition of repentance here in just a minute. It's going to help you tremendously. But Paul said it this way, do you despise the riches of his goodness? Sometimes you think that by the critical, uh, the, the commentary of some ministers against another. They'll criticize them. All they talk about is the goodness. All they talk about is healing. All, do you despise the riches of his goodness? What do you want to talk about? What are you so upset about? What are you so frustrated with? Don't you know what Jesus already did? Do you despise the riches of his goodness? I don't want to fall into that category. His forbearance, his long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to what? Think differently. Remember? The goodness of God changes the way you think. If preaching doesn't change the way we think, it's not good preaching. Do you know, we gather together, the whole ministry of preaching is to change the way we think. So that we can experience more of him. Now what do most people think about when they think of repentance? Help me out. Confess their sins. What else? Over and over. Yeah, repentance. Do it over. Re, 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 repeat, repeat, repeat. Turn or burn. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> Turn or burn, baby, yeah. Yeah. It's not a pleasant thought, is it? Well, how did, where did that come from? The word repentance, we said, means to think differently. It's the word metanoia. I don't know if I'm saying it right in the Greek. But anyway, it means this. Not only to think differently, it means a change of thought and purpose. Because of what you've just heard. The knowledge that's just come your way. It's moved you to change the way you think and to change your purpose. Yes. Now, I'm going to read some stuff. It's, it's from a several sources. I'll list some. It's from the Wayside Cross Ministries publication, from Vine's Expository Dictionary, from Strong's Concordance, from Baker's Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology, from the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, from BibleStudyTools.com. So I don't want you to think I make this stuff up, but I'm just going to read it to you. Can we do that? You doing okay? Jumping jack time? You're awake? Okay. Come on. Don't fall asleep. Here's the, good, the, the, the gooder part. A source of the modern-day confusion lies in the history of the word repentance. We got the English word repent from the Latin word reponetere. I don't know how to say that. And the Latin translation of the Bible used ponitentium agire, which means exercise penitence. It's not in the Greek. This was Latin, which, which translated into the English, which actually signifies pain in Latin, grief, turn or burn, distress, 
rather than a change of thought and purpose. We also get our English word penitentiary from this Latin root. Wow. That's exactly where religion will put you. In a spiritual penitentiary. You'll be in bondage and will never experience the redeeming love and power of your father. Here's how the dictionary defines penance. Voluntary self-punishment. Man, is there a long list of this in religion. Christian churches. Some. Many. Voluntary self-punishment. Why would you need to fast for God to hear you if he's already given his son for you? Is your voluntary self-punishment greater than what he's already done? I don't think so. Is your physical efforts of denying food going to produce greater self-control in you than the power of the Holy Spirit? I don't think so. Willpower. Religion teaches willpower. We teach Holy Spirit power. Amen. And many things that are done in religion are, are, are really trying to get you to have more willpower. We need Jesus' power. Amen. Penance. Voluntary self-punishment inflicted as an outward expression of repentance for having done wrong. Thus, Latin Christianity has been corrupted by the pernicious error of presenting grief over sin rather than abandonment of sin as the primary idea of New Testament repentance. Let me keep reading. You awake? Go ahead. Pinch the person's cheek next to you. This one up here. It was easy to make the transition from penitence to penance. Consequently, the Romanists, the Roman Christians, represent Jesus and the apostles as urging people to do penance. I grew up in this circle. Ponitentiarium agire, however you say that. Do penance, do penance, do penance. That's the message that's preached in the church I grew up in. The English word repent, derived from Latin reponitere, we already said that, inherits the fault of the Latin, making grief the principal idea. Okay? So grief is going from your life right now. And keeping in the background, if not altogether out of sight, the fundamental New, Te New Testament concept of a change of mind. The exhortations of the ancient prophets of Jesus and the apostles show that a change of mind is the dominant idea. Now, this is great. This is from Francois Dutois. I believe he's a South African and he is the author of the Mirror Bible, which is a, a contemporary translation. And this is in, a, I believe the, it's in the, uh, one of the introduction sections to his translation. But he says this, for many years, deliberate as well as oblivious error in translations were repeated. 
and have empowered religious institutions of the day to influence, manipulate, and even abuse masses of people. I'm just reading what he said, so don't get mad at me. When you don't know how good God is, you can be manipulated. You can be made to believe things that aren't true. But when you know how good he is, nothing can move you off of that. No matter what anybody says. Consider the word metanoia, Francois goes on to say. Consider the two components, meta, which means together with, and mous, mind, suggesting a radical shift of mind. The word has been translated regularly as repentance, which is an old English word borrowed from the Latin, which means penance. Then they added the re to get even more mileage out of it. <laughs> To get even more mileage out of sin consciousness. Most Christians are sin conscious. That will ruin you. We are to be righteous conscious. Conscious that we are no longer bound by sin. We're no longer sinners. We've been saved by grace. We're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now. Not when we get to heaven. Now. This is what God did through his son. Repentance, this gross deception, led to the perverted doctrines of indulgences. I don't know if you're familiar with those or not. Where naive, ignorant people were led to believe. Why? They didn't know how good God was. Were led to believe that they needed to purchase favor. From an angry God. Many cathedrals were funded with this guilt money. Just tough stuff, isn't it? It'll set you free. English translations do little to help us understand what repentance truly is. Until Jerome's Latin Vulgate translation in 382 AD. So how long is that after Jesus? About 350 years, right? The word metanoia was commonly used. So Jerome came out with his Latin translation and changed the word metanoia into repent or penance, do penance. For instance, Tertullian wrote in 198 AD. How long after Jesus was that? About 150 years, long before Jerome. Okay? In 198 AD, in Greek, this is what he wrote, Tertullian in 198. Before the Latin translation. He said in Greek, metanoia is not a confession of sins. Come on, is this different or what? You, that was the first thing you said, repentance. You said, what do you think of confession of sins? Metanoia is not a confession of sins, but rather a change of mind. But to, cite, but to cite this, the Latin fathers began to translate the word as do penance, following a large Roman denomination's teaching on doing penance. You're familiar with that. In 1430, how long is that after Jesus? About 1400 years, right? Now we're, we're, we've gone quite a bit now. Lorenzo Valla 
a Catholic theologian began a critical study of Jerome's, back in 382, Latin Vulgate, and Vala pointed out many mistakes that Jerome had made. But they're similar to some, there are some believers today that says the King James. You should only use the King James. Do you know how many errors there are in the King James? A lot. The Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in Greek. You've got to study and, and, and study Jesus to know the truth. So, so here, here comes uh, Lorenzo, and he, he points out in 1430, there's many mistakes in Jerome's Latin Vulgate translation. But in that day, it was Vulgate only. That was the translation. Just similar to today, many people say, oh, he, he doesn't preach from the King James. That's not the real Bible. Well, they were similar in 1430, Vulgate only. The Vulgate only crowd of Vala's day forced him to renounce many of the changes that he noted needed changing in the Vulgate, including the poor translation of Metanoia. Isn't that interesting? I like reading. I like learning the truth. Religion has robbed people of the simplicity of faith in Christ. Religion has made relationship with God about grief over sin and trying to atone for it rather than victory over sin through Christ who already atoned for it. I want to say that again because it will change your life. Religion has made relationship with God about grief over sin and trying to atone for it rather than victory over sin through Christ who already atoned for it. So think about that when you're praying. Am I praying from, from a place of victory? knowing that it's already been done? Or is there some subtle atoning in the background? Am I trying to make up for something? Am I trying to do penance in my prayer life? Metanoia, to change one's mind and purpose as the result of afterknowledge. That's another definition. God wants you to think like he thinks. We're almost done. In other words, repentance is a decision on our part to think again or to think after what we've just heard. Okay? It's a change of mind that leads to a change of action. You change your mind, your actions will change, guaranteed. Now, I like this understanding of the word metanoia. It, it means to think differently, to think after, also to think together with. And Isaiah 55 is a great example, and we'll close with this. Isaiah 55. God is inviting us to think his thoughts after him. Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, not beat themselves up over it. That doesn't help. Just turn from it. Save yourself a lot of time and energy. A lot of grief. And the unrighteous man, his thoughts. 
This is a great picture of metanoia, what real repentance is. Let him return to the Lord. It's a turning to the Lord is what repentance is. And he will have mercy. What? Boy, I wish someone would have told me that. I'd have come running to God. He's going to have mercy on me, but what about all I did? What about everything that's happened to my family growing up? All the pain. He's going to have mercy on me? That makes me want him. That makes me want to come to him. Not keep away from him. And to our God, for he will what? Abundantly pardon. Wow. Now look at verse 8. Now, some teach this as God saying, basically, you don't think like me and you're never going to, so just keep your distance. That's the opposite of what he's saying. Opposite. This is an invitation to embrace his thinking, to live life his way. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is an invitation. Yes. For as the rain comes down, and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word. What is God's word? His thoughts. What are the promises of God? His thoughts. That's why 2 Peter chapter 1 says, through his precious and magnificent promises, through his precious and magnificent thoughts, we become partakers of his nature. We begin living the life he called us to live. So shall my word, my thoughts be that go forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. What does God think about you? What are his thoughts about your life? Do you know? Does he love you or is that just something I'm saying to kind of pep you up a little bit? You should know from the scriptures what he thinks about you. Was it, I don't know if it was a psalmist, I don't know if it was David or not, but it said, well, your thoughts about me outnumber the grains of sand. Yes. Yes. Wow. They outnumber the grains of sand. You're always thinking about me. The prophet Jeremiah said that, that your thoughts are thoughts of goodness. Your thoughts are thoughts of prosperity toward me. I know the thoughts I have for you, declares the Lord. The plans. Plans to prosper you. To give you confidence and a future that you've beyond what you've dreamed of. That's what he thinks about you. So what are the results of, of taking God's thoughts upon ourselves? Verse 12, you will go out with joy. If you're not bursting with joy after you've done praying, you haven't prayed right. If you're not full of energy and strength and confidence, after you spend time with the Father, your thinking's wrong. Yes. 
Jennifer and I were talking, I think we were talking about those get-togethers. I used to pray years ago, you know, Lord, forgive me for all of my sins, the ones I know about, the ones I don't, the hidden faults, the things I didn't do that I should have done, the things I did do that I shouldn't have done. And finally, God got a hold of me and said, what are you doing? Stop asking me to forgive you. Start believing that I have forgiven you. Boy, you'll save years of life. It'll add years to your life and joy that nothing can stop. You'll go out with joy and you'll be led forth with shalom, wholeness, peace, well-being, prosperity. Another dereligification on that word, right? The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. What's the cypress? It symbolizes noble, stately, luxuriant, productive life. Instead of the thorn and pain, you're going to have a noble, stately, luxuriant, productive life. If you'll take my thoughts. And instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. What is the myrtle tree? It has green shining leaves, snow white flowers, and it emits this perfume that's more exquisite than that of the rose. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Now, finish it up with another statement from Francois Dutrois in his rendering of Isaiah 55. He says it this way, and I don't think we have it on the screen, but I'll read it. Your thoughts were distanced from God's thoughts. That's what sin did. Your thoughts were distanced from God's thoughts as the heavens are higher than the earth. But just like the rain and the snow would cancel that distance and saturate the soil to awaken its seed, so shall my word be that proceeds from my mouth. The distance caused by Adam's fall is compared to the distance between heaven and earth. It is canceled through faith in Jesus. The distance between you and God is canceled through faith and Jesus. Metanoia suggests a co-knowing with God, a thinking with Him, thinking after Him. It is an intertwining of thought. It is to agree with God about me. Repentance is a deliberate act of the will as we decide to turn around and follow God's way instead of our own. Did that help you? No more penance in your prayer time. Stop. Stop asking God to forgive you. Because the truth is when you're doing that, what you're really saying is he hasn't forgiven me. Let's stop asking him to do something he's already done. And let's get on with this thing. Let's go forward into the fullness of his purpose for our lives. And let's leave condemnation behind us. Thank you, Father, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that set us free from the law of sin and of death. We're never going back there again. We're free. We're free. We thank you, Lord. 
for the liberty of Christ has made us free indeed. It was for freedom that Christ set us free, that our prayer time would be joyous, full of singing and dancing and shouting and rejoicing and celebrating, full of confidence and faith and hope and peace. Father, I lift up those who are here and those who may be listening on Facebook or would hear this podcast. Holy Spirit, help them. Teach us how to pray, not religiously, but Jesusly. Our Father, who art in heaven, be glorified in my life. Your kingdom manifest in my life just as it is in heaven. Thank you, Lord, for your kingdom showing up every day in our lives. Your will be done in our lives just as it is in heaven. Abundant life be done in our lives just as it is in heaven. Thank you, Lord, for leading us forward with joy. What a week we're going to have. Wow, what a week. Prayer like we've never had before. Prayer that lifts us higher in Christ. Prayer that enables us to see that we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. That Satan and every dark thing is under our feet. That we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. That we are the righteousness of God in Christ. That we are new creation. Prayer that lifts up and heals and transforms and sets free and makes strong. It's time for new prayer. New wine. We turn our backs on the old wine. And we drink the new wine of Jesus. Life abundantly. In Jesus' name. At Highway Church, we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ and experience the abundant life He came to give you. If you'd like to learn more about God's amazing love for you, please visit us at highwaychurch.us. You can email us at info at highwaychurch.us or message us via our Facebook page. Put your trust in Jesus today and taste and see how good He is.